you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Now, there's no truth to the rumor that Dr. Kimberly Schreiner's leaving Huntington Hospital to be full-time with KPCC. It just seems like it because uh, she's such a terrific guest and always uh, so gracious to come on and join us to talk about COVID-19. Dr. Schreiner, yesterday, to talk about the program which she heads at Huntington Hospital, looking at those with long-haul COVID symptoms, if you missed that, it's available at kpcc.org. So make sure you check out that segment. But Dr. Kimberly Schreiner, who directs infectious disease and prevention at Pasadena Huntington Hospital, is back with us this morning. Dr. Schreiner, a very good morning to you. And likewise to you, Larry. It's always a pleasure to be here in spite of the frequency. Yeah, oh, it's great. Uh, let's begin with Pfizer and uh, Pfizer-BioNTech uh, uh, asking the FDA for approval uh, for its booster to go to everyone 18 years of age and up. Currently, it's 65 and up, uh, plus those who have underlying conditions making them vulnerable to COVID or those whose immune systems are suppressed. Your thoughts about making the Pfizer booster available Available to every adult. Well, I think the data, especially the data that's come out of Israel, and that, of course, this is each each week that goes by, we have more information about the uh, the efficacy, the uh, and the helpfulness of having a booster. I think that that data is really supporting uh, Pfizer's request. Uh, that it does appear to be uh, important that as you get farther away from your second shot in the series of two, the initial vaccination series. Uh, that your immunity does wane a little bit um, to the point that you actually may get quite sick, hopefully still not hospitalized or in, in, and most hopefully not dying from the disease, uh, but that the booster really decreases the risk of that. And uh, the other information that seems to be sort of becoming available is that that third booster, again, really locks in the immunity. And it may well be, hopefully, uh, that we are not going to have to be doing this on a real frequent basis, that the series of three shots, especially this one six months after the second shot, uh, really uh, ingrains the uh, information into your immune system about SARS-CoV-2. Now, of course, that doesn't account for any emergence of another variant that might avoid uh, the vaccine. But again, in the presence of Delta variant, which is a pretty tricky player, um, the boost really seems to decrease the risk of acquiring the disease and getting sick with the disease. Sounds like you, you think it's likely the FDA and, and then the CDC will recommend this? I think so. I think it, it probably won't be a mandated thing, uh, at least not this year. Um, but if the data continues to reveal that a three, 
injection series is the way to completely get on top of COVID-19, that may well change in the future. But for right now, I doubt if they will mandate it, but I think they will highly recommend it. And I certainly highly recommend it. Where do you think we are on boosters going forward? If if we see, for example, that Pfizer has uh, coverage which starts to wane after a six-month period of time, are we likely looking at the need, you know, particularly with Pfizer, for people to get a booster every six months? I'm not sure it's going to be every six months, Larry. I hope it isn't because it is a little um, of a strong reaction. I, I certainly had a pretty strong reaction after my third shot. So, um, and it's unpleasant. It doesn't hurt you, but it's unpleasant. And I think that you know, I think where we're what's happening right now with the pandemic is that it's it's kind of establishing itself as an endemic. Um, disease, something like influenza. It's you know certainly worse than influenza because the mortality with uh, COVID-19 is much higher and it's a much more infectious pathogen. But I think that it may well be that we have to have annual vaccines like we do with influenza. It may well be that the that Pfizer and Moderna in particular will uh, adjust the dosing. Uh, Moderna, of course, their booster dose is 50% of the regular dose. Pfizer may be looking at that, that maybe you get the first three at full dose and then going forward through the rest of your life, perhaps you get a lesser dose that that's enough to kind of wake up the immune system when it's season, when it's, you know, COVID-19 season again. So I think we, I think that information is not available yet, but it's beginning to develop and we'll know how to use these vaccines in a much more effective way that, that balances the side effects with, uh, with the efficacy. Dr. Schreiner, how thoroughly are we following people after they receive boosters to determine uh, the strength of their immune response? And I don't mean just, you know, sort of simple antibody tests, but the more thorough workups that you've talked about to try and look more comprehensively at immunity. Well, I think that we have, first of all, have to identify what those tests should be. It's you know, we can do very complicated and deep dives into people's immune systems, but that's very expensive. It requires uh, special laboratories. And so we haven't quite isolated the best test at this point, although neutralizing antibodies are not the whole story, uh, certainly with regard to the cellular part of your immune system, um, they are a relatively easily obtainable and relatively inexpensive uh, test that can help predict how you're going, what your risk is. Um, so I think as we move forward, we'll have a better handle on what those tests might be. For example, in the world of HIV, the emergence of the HIV RNA, quantitative RNA assay, you know, was an enormously important part of our ability to control HIV and to know when you were no longer infectious. And so I think that that kind of testing developments, it may not be that particular type of test, but as we move forward will be something that um, we'll have at our at our disposal to kind of evaluate people's individual immune response. That being said, the neutralizing antibody assays are being followed in certain cohorts. We actually are doing a small study at Huntington and our healthcare workers, and we will be seeing what their booster response levels are uh, since many of them have been boosted. All right. Uh, And how long did it take with HIV to come up with that, uh, you know, much more uh, reliable test? It took a long time. That technology was developed back in, uh, actually at Caltech was, in fact, uh, the fellow who developed it won the Nobel Prize. Uh, That technology uh, was being developed much earlier, but it didn't come to fruition until about 1996, which was a very important watershed year for HIV because that was the 
emergence of good testing techniques and the protease inhibitors. And what's interesting is, of course, Pfizer uh, asking for EUA approval of their protease inhibitor for COVID-19 just a couple weeks ago. So there's some interesting parallels between the two pandemics. We're talking with Dr. Kimberly Schreiner of Huntington Hospital, where she's director of infectious disease and prevention. If you have questions for Dr. Schreiner, you can email them. Please include your location and first name, AT comments at kpcc.org. AT comments at kpcc.org to ask your question of Dr. Schreiner. You can also call 866 893 5722. 866 893 KPCC. Dr. Schreiner, we've seen uh, about a 34% increase in COVID 19 cases in LA County over the past two weeks. But at the same time, hospitalizations seem to have stayed pretty stable. Is this indication of you to you that the boosters are doing their job? It's hard to know, Larry. I think um, the next couple of weeks will probably be critical to see the impact of Halloween, for example, as we get ready to have Thanksgiving and then the big holidays in December. Um, I think some of what the cases what we're seeing are, of course, in individuals who are previously vaccinated, so they don't seem to require hospitalization as much. They may present to the hospital feeling pretty sick, but then, of course, they're not in a situation where they have to be hospitalized. So I think, again, this is what we're seeing is the, the true um, need and results of vaccination, the good, the good parts of vaccination to prevent hospitalization and death. Uh, still in hospitals, largely an unvaccinated population. And, you know, we still have quite a bit of work to do to encourage people and, and reassure them that these vaccines are very, very safe and they will save your life. And I don't know how many of patients I've taken care of at Huntington unvaccinated who have regretted the fact that they didn't get vaccinated. Sheik in Torrance uh, says, my mom and dad each got a shot of the AstraZeneca vaccine in Bangladesh. They're now in the U.S. and want to get their second shots lined up. But, of course, AstraZeneca isn't approved here. What brand would you recommend that they switch to for their second shot? So I would probably recommend that they get an mRNA vaccine. Um, There are good data in Europe and other parts of the world. Uh, uh, AstraZeneca is a similar type vaccine to the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. It's an adenovirus vector vaccine. And so uh, good data coming out of Europe for quite a long time now uh, that the uh, response to this with the second vaccine being an mRNA vaccine that really enhances uh, the um, effectiveness of the AstraZeneca vaccine. So either Pfizer or Moderna, doesn't really matter which one. Uh, maybe Moderna has a little bit more oomph to it, uh, but uh, that uh, certainly either one is very good, and that, that's what I would recommend. Jane in Santa Monica asks uh, if Dr. Schreiner's heard anything about using needle aspiration to prevent pericarditis or myocarditis after vaccination? Uh, well, needle aspiration is if someone has fluid around the heart and it's impairing the heart to function, uh, and that's an emergent procedure that's usually done unless it's done in a diagnostic fashion. That's an invasive procedure. It does have some risk to it. That's not something we would ever recommend for routine evaluation. Um, often the diagnosis of myocarditis is made on the basis of imaging with special MRI scans or an echocardiogram. But if there is substantial fluid around the heart that needs to be analyzed, perhaps for other reasons, is it blood, is it infection, is it uh, an inflammatory reaction, then trained cardiologists would do that procedure uh, using uh, echocardiogram to guide the placement. But that's, a, that's an invasive and rather risky procedure.
Jennifer in Idlewild emailed us, in certain situations, uh, the unvaccinated person will be required to get a COVID test, and the vaccinated person wouldn't be required to get the test, even though the vaccinated person is also likely to transmit the virus, whether symptomatic or not. I know quite a number of people who, although double vaccinated, have tested possible, gotten sick, and transmitted to others. Doesn't it seem that maybe vaccinated people should be tested as well as unvaccinated? vaccinated? Well, it sort of depends on the circumstances. Yes, vaccinated people can acquire the virus. Uh, now, that's where boosting may help prevent that from happening. We don't know for sure yet, but it looks very likely. Uh, and yes, vaccinated people can become sick with it and transmit it to other people. That was an unfortunate discovery that just speaks to the nastiness of this virus. Uh, but they are still significantly less likely to do either compared to an unvaccinated person. An unvaccinated person with SARS-CoV-2, whether they're symptomatic or not, is is more infectious for the most more frequently infectious than someone who's vaccinated. That being said, she's absolutely right. And so, in certain circumstances, for example, uh, um, I do consulting for Occidental College for our our choral and uh, singing groups and theater groups where they are unmasked. Uh, and all the students are vaccinated, uh, we still test them regularly to make sure that there's no underlying disease that could be transmitted in a high-risk situation. So there are circumstances where there's some equity in testing, if you will, uh, if it's going to be a high-risk um, event where you need to have that, that testing information in addition to their vaccine status. Yeah, my son at Claremont McKenna College, even though the students all have to be fully vaccinated, they're tested weekly because, of course, it's a congregate living situation as well as attending classes in person. And that way, too, if there's any sort of uh, you know positive cases, they can, they can do contact tracing and try and head off any outbreak. That's right, Larry. And that's where testing platforms are still a very, very important part of controlling this pandemic. Occidental has a very robust testing program as well. Most colleges do because we know that there's a fair bit of transmission that occurs there. So, uh, so again, even though we have the vaccines, even though we are soon to have some very good oral medications, testing still remains a very, very important part of controlling the pandemic. We have Meredith in Eagle Rock, speaking of Occidental College. I got my second Pfizer shot in April, but I want to get a Moderna booster. Should I wait a little longer to increase the efficacy, or should I get a Moderna booster as soon as possible? Again, she got her second Pfizer dose in April. Yeah, so you're more than six months out from your second dose, and so I would recommend that you get either. Um, some people like to mix and match a little bit. There doesn't appear to be any uh, bad side effects doing that. The Moderna dose for the booster is 50% of the regular dose, um, but there may be some advantages to that. We don't know that data right now. They're very, very similar vaccines. Uh, some of the preliminary data in small numbers show that Moderna does seem to induce a little bit higher levels of neutralizing antibodies, uh, So, and you're free to make that choice. You can do that. Um, we just don't know sort of how long that's going to last. The Pfizer uh, platform still looks very robust as well. You're kind of comparing such high levels of, of effectiveness that it's sort of not really that much of a difference, but um, you can do either. Uh, Jenny in Torrance emailed, I received two doses of Pfizer back in January and February. Later showed no antibodies on an antibody test. I received the booster in August and again showed no antibodies on a test. What should I be thinking about my immunity and how careful should I be? Well, we do see individuals that, that have that rather peculiar response that don't have any kind of apparent underlying disease that would confer lack of immunity. 
Um, they don't have a malignancy. They don't have an autoimmune disease. But the, it is a part of the population. Uh, and what I might recommend is that you, for your, for the, I would assume the third vaccine that you got was uh, actually not a booster, but a third vaccine because you didn't respond to the first two. In those individuals, we recommend that you go ahead and get a fourth vaccine, a booster, and it might be reasonable to change the type of vaccine you get. Um, I would probably recommend if you had Pfizer to switch to Moderna then and see if you can elicit some antibodies that way. If there's still no antibodies after a few weeks uh, of your booster, you know, then you do need to be careful that you, there's something about your immune system that's not uh, picking up on the antibodies. Now, you still may have immunity uh, because the cellular immune system is still hopefully functional, but um, I would just be extra cautious when you're around people that might have COVID. Our line producer, Matt, uh, says I'm more than six months out from my Moderna shot, second shot, and I'm considering getting a booster ahead of a trip back east, even though I don't technically qualify per CDC guidelines. But between the travel, visiting my parents, I'd feel better knowing I'm protected. Should I go ahead and get one or should I wait until the CDC recommends it? Well, you know, uh, the, a lot of pharmacies will go ahead and, and give you the booster because it's 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 kind of a personal choice. So for Matt, I would say it's not a bad idea. Uh, you want to protect yourself and you want to protect your family, um, uh, and you should be able to just go to a pharmacy and go ahead and get the booster. I, my inclination is they're going to approve it, and I think that um, so it's you know it's probably fine to do it a, a little bit ahead of ahead of schedule here, and I would recommend it. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this before, but when I got my booster at a pharmacy, they were they were very diligent about it, having been at least six months since I got my second shot, but they didn't ask any questions of anybody that I, you know, the line, there were a long line of us, and I didn't hear any questions related to why one was getting a booster. They just wanted to make sure that it was, uh, it, it was the proper interval. Yeah. So... Uh, they're they're not trying to make barriers to people getting boosters, which I think is a, a good thing. Uh, Dr. Schreiner, we have another question. This is from Teresa in Trinity County, who emailed us, I take care of my son, and I can't be out of commission after my booster. I was down for close to three days after my second shot. Can I safely take diphenhydramine after my third jab? Yes, you can. And uh, you can take a little bit of Tylenol, too. That sort of may help get you through the the kind of reaction that people have. Um, uh, it's probably probably not a good idea to do it before you get the, the shot, but uh, you can certainly do it a few hours afterwards. And it will go away. It's unpleasant, but it does resolve. But I can understand if you're taking care of a child, that, that's an, an additional challenge. So sometimes the distraction is a good thing, though. So All right. 866-893-KPECC. Uh, Gina in Marina del Rey emailed, what are the general benefits and drawbacks of participating in a study about antibodies with a large medical institution? Well, you know, I, we encourage everybody uh, to participate in studies if, uh, if they are robust and they've been approved by an institutional review board uh, and they appear to be something that someone feels comfortable doing. Um, you know, I think that that sounds like a study that would be of great value. And again, if it's a large study, especially under the aegis of a hospital or an institution, um, uh, and you have a chance to review the informed consent and you feel comfortable uh, with the information that's provided, then, you know, we strongly encourage people to participate. The science is really important with this disease in particular, and we have to gather as much as we can as quickly as we can uh, to really know how to use the, the vaccines and what immunity means. So, 
if you feel comfortable doing it, and you can always ask a lot of questions of the person who's providing the informed consent, then I strongly encourage people to participate in studies. It's how we learn, and it can be of great value to society, but also to you as an individual. Joseph, listening in El Paso, Texas, emailed us, is there a waiting period um, from the booster shot for maximum protection to take effect? Usually about two weeks, just like after the regular vaccine. It takes about that much time for things to sort of get dialed into your immune system. Uh, what's going to be very interesting, I think we sort of alluded to this earlier in the show, is is what is the tail of the uh, of the immunity here? Is it going to last longer because you've had that third reminder to your immune system that, hey, you need to stay, uh, stay vigilant about this bad virus? Uh, and then if that tail is nine months or a year or two years or what if we really, really won out and it was five years um, or even longer, um, that would be fantastic. And so that's, and again, many vaccines are three-part vaccines. You have to sort of have that third shot to, to really lock it in. So, uh, but two weeks after is when you really should feel fairly uh, empowered in terms of your neutralizing antibodies. That doesn't mean you can take your mask off and, and roll around in COVID uh, because we know this is a highly infectious pathogen, but uh, it does give you a great deal of protection. Roby in Highland Park says, I just finished a two-week prednisone prescription. Should I wait a few weeks before getting my booster? It might be a good idea. Uh, a prednisone, uh, usually a, a fast taper of prednisone, uh, if you have it for asthma or something, um, isn't going to do too much, but it probably would be reasonable to wait a couple of weeks before you get your booster so that your immune system is ready and prepared and doesn't have that immunosuppressive on board. Elizabeth in Culver City says, I had no reaction to my first Moderna shot, but had really uh, bad symptoms after the second one. Uh, I was in bed for three days with muscle aches and a fever. When I get my booster, would switching over to J&J alleviate potential side effects? Uh, absolutely no information on that. I'm not, um, J&J is a very good vaccine. Um, it's, it's a good vaccine for sort of youngish people, not women, uh, because it does have the clotting thing. Uh, we don't have as much information about going from an mRNA back to an, um, an adenovirus vaccine. There's some data to suggest it, it does improve immunity. Um, I would still say I would stick either with Moderna or Pfizer, um, Moderna, this booster dose is 50% of the of the previous dose, so it may not be as bad a reaction. Um, and uh, of course, the reaction does go away, and you feel normal after a few days. Um, and you can take some Tylenol and, and Benadryl. So my personal preference as a clinician is to sort of stay within the same um, framework. If you had an mRNA vaccine, to get an mRNA booster, there are people that do do J and J. You can do that. Um, I think it's better if you had if you had a J and J to boost with an mRNA, sort of the other way around. Linda and Garden Grove asked, "Should we all be getting an antibody test after being fully vaccinated to see if they're effective?" No, I don't think that that's that helpful, um, and I think that it is being sort of overused, and then it creates some anxiety because patients and physicians don't know how to interpret it. Um, I, I think in the context of a study, it's a reasonable thing to do. Um, if you are uh, a, part, a person such as the previous caller who has some sort of a, a lack of response, then it's important to follow that by a clinician that knows how to interpret it. But just getting random antibody tests, it may give you a false sense of security or it may make you anxious if it's relatively low. It's very hard to interpret uh, what that would mean in the context of being exposed to the disease. 
Carol in Orange County emailed us, I'm hosting Thanksgiving with about 20 people, all of us vaccinated. I'll be having most of the dinner outside. Should I still have the guests wear masks when they're inside in the kitchen, just in case someone has an asymptomatic breakthrough case? It's not a bad idea. Um, the other option that you can do, and, and kudos for you for thinking it through this very carefully, it's very, very important that people remember we have a high level of disease going into the holidays, and so we are going to be a little more adventurous this year, I think, in the holiday department, so we do need to be careful. The other option, Carol, that you could do is have individuals get tested uh, before they come to your holiday party uh, within 24 to 48 hours before, and that would add another layer of protection. Um, you know, trying to keep sort of socially distant when you're inside. If you do have elderly people that you're concerned they may not have responded very well to the vaccine, then it might be good for them to wear a mask or people to be masked inside if it's a tight sort of uh, environment. Yeah, I think we're we're planning similarly uh, 20-some people uh, with the dinner my, my mom is putting together. And um, I, I think we're planning one indoors to be masked, and we're, we're going to have the dinner outside. Um, but, you know, just, again, because people are coming from all these different households, even though we're family, um, and we're going to be limited time indoors, people going in and out anyway. So, I, you know, it's, it's but so much of it, I think, Dr. Schreiner, is just sort of managing your own comfort with the degree of risk involved. That's right, Larry. Uh, We're having a a much smaller uh, um, Thanksgiving, but it's in a small little house up in the central coast. And so for that reason, we're asking that our six guests um, get tested. In addition, they're fully vaccinated, fully boosted. But my my mom is 90 years old, and and, and so it's important that we be very careful. Sure. Um, So you, you have to, you know, I think people are pretty good now at knowing what the risks are and how to try to mitigate those. Uh, and and really keep people protected. Richard in Studio City said, I mistakenly took 800 milligrams of ibuprofen a couple hours before I got my booster. I ended up having some pretty bad side effect afterwards, so I imagine it was effective, but should I get an antibody test to verify it's working or reschedule and get another booster shot? He's concerned about the ibuprofen interfering with uh, the effectiveness of the booster. I don't think that's a, uh, anything to worry about. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't get. I wouldn't get another booster. Um, that you're going to be really uncomfortable, and uh, and you would, didn't want to do it so close to the previous one. I just don't think that's going to be much of an effect. And you know, taking ibuprofen, it, it probably isn't that much of a, an impact. Um, so I wouldn't worry about that at all. Caleb in Pasadena emailed us, I recently reserved my Moderna booster. I know the two original doses already protected me from severe disease, but I decided to get it because I work with kids. They're not vaccinated. I thought maybe a booster would help reduce the risk I'd spread any breakthrough infection. Is there science to back up boosters as helping reduce spread in from breakthrough infections? Yes, there is. And that's uh, that's some of the information coming out of Israel now that's very encouraging that that it does seem the booster dose does seem to decrease acquisition and uh, perhaps then subsequently transmission of disease. Not doesn't get rid of it completely, uh, but it certainly does seem to diminish that. So uh, that's a very encouraging bit of information. The Israelis are quite a bit ahead of everybody else in their vaccine programs, and that's why the information is coming out from there. But they've been very, very diligent in looking at uh, viral dynamics after boosting, and it does look uh, like it's it really decreases the risk of uh, acquisition and transmission. I've wondered about Israel, you know, having so much information to provide on COVID-19. Is part of it also that they're kind of a Goldilocks-sized uh, country? They're, they're big enough to give statistically significant results, but not so big that it's unwieldy to, to run studies. 
Yeah, and they have uh, they have a you know quite well vaccinated population. Although they do have some uh, subpopulations that are quite vaccine hesitant, and that's been a problem for them. But they have a robust uh, healthcare system. They can do this kind of data. It, it's really quite good data. Uh, that's coming out of there, and uh, that's why it's always referenced uh, during a lot of these FDA approvals. Uh, so I, I think it's encouraging. Um, you know, they are not without lots of, lots of disease in their own own uh, situation. So, but I think that it's important that we kind of try to. Uh, look at that data and make some interpretations for ourselves. Let's see. We have uh, Ruth in Lake Balboa in the Valley says, my daughter got J&J and then a full dose of Moderna. Will she also need a booster? And if so, which one? Uh, No. So if you had J&J, that's, uh, again, that was sort of a one-shot platform. It actually was designed originally as a two-shot, but they decided to do one shot. So once you get your uh, mRNA booster, that should hold you for at least six months to a year, depending on how things play out with uh, regard to um, how long these vaccines will last. Hopefully longer than we, we don't, you know, we don't know for sure. We do hope it's going to be longer than we think, but we'll, we'll just have to see. But no, she doesn't need any more after that. She's had her booster. All right. And uh, we have word that um, a strong start for kids being vaccinated. Uh, Federal health officials say today about 900,000 kids age 5 to 11 will have received their first dose of COVID-19 vaccine in their first week of eligibility. White House COVID-19 coordinator Jeff Zients uh, said we're off to a very strong start. Your thoughts about the 900,000 young persons and threshold, Dr. Schreiner. It's terrific. I know this is a tough decision for parents, but it is so important that they get their child protected. I think it would be uh, a terrible thing to have to live with if your child got COVID and either was seriously uh, impaired because of COVID or died. And we know that this uh, Delta variant does affect children. So um, this is a big step, but it's very, very important to protect young people uh, so that they can go on and continue our, our science on uh, learning how to deal with these pandemics as we move forward. Uh, Sanchali in Orange County emailed us, I was fully vaccinated before my current pregnancy. It's been six months since then. Do you recommend a booster? I'm due to deliver in January. Should I just wait to get my booster till I deliver? Uh, probably no harm in getting your booster now. Uh, it may give you some additional protection as for the baby as well. We know that uh, the neutralizing antibodies protect the infant. Uh, um, I would discuss it with your obstetrician. If there's other fa- uh, factors that they need to consider, then that they're certainly more in line with that. But I think a booster would probably be a good idea to give you full protection. This is a question we've received many times, but since we have, I'll ask it again. Joel in Los Angeles wondering why the children's dosage is determined by age instead of, of body weight. Um, and this is where uh, we explain that, you know, medication is different than vaccination. Dr. Schreiner? Yeah, vaccination is something we do to stimulate the immune system. So it has it has more to do with the maturity of a child's immune system. There's kind of that transition between 11 and 12 well, where children begin to move out of their childhood and into into adolescence, and their immune system is changing. So that's why the dosage is different. Um, and it's, I know it's confusing for parents. It isn't that nuanced that we go, oh, well, if they're 11 and a half, they should get you know three quarters of a dose. It, we're not able to, to titrate it that uh, accurately. But that's why it's based on age and not on weight. But it's so counterintuitive because, of course, when we medicate a child, weight is such a big factor into, you know, how much is the appropriate dosage. 
That's right. And, you know, it does seem kind of counterintuitive, and, and I, I can understand why people are kind of confused about it, but um, but it really has to do with the maturity of the immune system. Is it ready to receive a full dose so that it knows what to do with that, or do we do a smaller dose? Uh, young children's immune systems are really vigilant and really on fire, so, um, you, you know, probably it wouldn't hurt a younger child to get a higher dose. They just might have more of a reaction, and since we do see a little bit of the myocarditis thing in young kids, I think that's really why they wanted to go with the lower dose. We may be lowering our doses for adults down the road, Larry. That's a possibility. All right. Dr. Schreiner, yeah, it's, I hate to say this given the subject matter, but it is fun to talk with you each time. I appreciate it so much. I learned so much. And uh, the information's invaluable. As always, we deeply appreciate you and what you bring us. Well, you have a terrific show, and I, I so much appreciate the service that you're providing for the public. It's terrific. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at LAist.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.